friends. This is Jamie Finn, and you're listening to another episode of The Real Mom Podcast. I've got to be honest, one of my favorite episodes definitely to date. Today, I talked to Adrian Collins, who has titles for her name that I've never even said before. She is a biological mother, a birth mother, adoptive mother, and a re-adoptive mother. I don't think I had ever even heard that term before, yet we have this conversation where she just jumps in with vulnerability and honestly encourages us to be vulnerable as well with her story of just loss and brokenness and beauty and really seeing how God is the one writing our stories. She has such wisdom for us because she's sharing from so many different perspectives at the same time. I loved this conversation with Adrian Collins, and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. Hi, Adrian. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. This has been a few months in the making. I had my little hiatus, but you have been on my list of moms that I want to connect with for a long time now. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad we get to do this. Yeah, me too. And the reason... That I have wanted to connect with you is you have, like I often say, oh, you you bring a unique perspective or you have a unique story. You have a truly unique perspective and story. <laughs> and so I just want to jump right in. Tell me about your family. Okay. Well, I am a mom of five kiddos. So I'm a birth mom to one daughter who we had placed at birth. And I'm a mom to three biological boys and an adoptive mom to one son and married to my high school sweetheart, who's also the birth father to our daughter. And we've been married for, gosh, almost 24 years. So, okay. I didn't realize that. So that's a bit of a unique part of it too, is that it's both you and your husband who placed your child. All right. So let's talk, let's start at the beginning. Let's start 20 years ago. Okay. Gosh, I know. So, I mean, just jumping in, I mean, I learned I was pregnant when I was a junior in college and it was a really, it was a hard time. I was an RA at a Christian college. I had all these leadership roles and responsibilities. I'm sure that wasn't looked on too. That was not looked on at the time. (laughs) But my first instinct was obviously huge guilt, shame. What Mm. have I done? My boyfriend, he was studying, who is not my husband, but he was studying in a different state. So I totally felt alone in this decision. And so my first instinct was, you know, to cover up the fact that I didn't want to disappoint anyone or be rejected by my Mm. peers out of school. I went to have an abortion. And, you know, I was terrified. I went alone and you know, sat on this abortion table or the table and, and did the exam. And we didn't know how exactly far along I was. And so I remember that doctor coming in and doing an ultrasound just to kind yeah. of confirm my dates. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I always figured it was just, you know, I don't know, just a tissue that I was dealing with. Mm. And, you know, an image popped up on the screen. And, you know, there was, life. There was moving arms and legs and, you know, I could see everything. And I just jumped off that table. I did not know what I was going to do. I didn't have a plan B, but I was going to choose life Wow, no matter what. And so I went back to school and hid that pregnancy 
for about four months. Wow. It was really hard. And I'm guessing that your boyfriend, now husband, was aware, right? And so where was his thought process through it all? No, he was as scared as I was. Sure. He, He had graduated college a year early and had started a new job. So, I mean, he was as concerned about where he'd get money to put food on the table. And oh my I was concerned about how to financially support myself. And so both of us were in this panic mode, really yeah. not knowing what to do. He, you know, supported me to say, if you, if you need to have an abortion, go do it. I'm here. But as soon as I told him that we can't do it, I told something else. He was supportive that way. We just, we didn't know what we were going to do together. It was sure. Really, um, I don't think he knew at the time, like how much I'd always wanted to be a mom. And so the thought of placing a child was so far-fetched. But at the time, I I would say like the most expensive thing I owned was a a purse. You know, I didn't feel like I had a way to financially provide support, emotionally support. I had all these dreams that I wanted for her. And so in the very end, I mean, really the ninth hour, probably two or three weeks before she was born, we decided to go ahead and move forward with adoption. Wow. So it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to step off this abortion table. We're going to place this child. You wrestled really through the whole pregnancy. Every day. Mm. It was excruciating. Okay. So let me ask you this. Who was wrestling with you? Who was helping you think and deal with the emotions and plan and all of that? So speak to a hypothetical person who's walking alongside of a pregnant woman who's like, I don't know what to do. And what were the things that people said or should have said or didn't say? Well, it's a great question because the answer is nobody. Hmm. I mean, nobody. And one, because I had to hide that pregnancy. And I did tell my parents, I will say that, but they were living in a different state. And so they didn't just swoop in and take care of everything. They really were like, you know what, we're going to support you, but you have got to make this decision on your own. And, you know, looking back, I really admire them for doing that and not persuading me or trying to sway me one direction or the other. But I really just kept all of my emotions bottled up. I really walked that road alone and it was horrible. It was, Mm. I mean, the only way I remember writing this pros and cons list. I mean, it just like one side or the other, you know, pros of keeping, cons of keeping and trying to figure out on my own what that would look like. Wow. That, I mean, I wouldn't recommend or wish that upon anyone looking back. Yeah, yeah. That was a really hard place to be in. And so it was, it was at the end, probably about seven or eight months in where I started approaching adoption agencies. And I remember finding an agency who who gave me a letter of an adoptive couple looking to parent. And I just opened the letter and just threw it across the room Really, because I was so upset that I was in that predicament that I would have that choice. Yeah. And you know, I held on to that letter though. And so in the very, very end, that was the adoptive parents that we chose. Oh my gosh. And we had met them one time and you know, everything on paper was great but it was really hard for me to process. And so yeah. I didn't do a ton of research. I really just trusted the agencies to kind of help us navigate that. And so let me ask you this. Let me cut yeah. in real quick. And I want to hear, there's a lot of talk about agencies and the way they handle things and if they support the moms the way they should and if there's the counseling they need and if there's manipulation. 
I know that your perspective might be 20 years old and it's only your experience, but tell me your perspective of how it was handled with you or how you know it's handled now even. Well, I will say, yeah, I think what they do, the support given now was so different than 20 years ago, but that doesn't mean that some girls don't get, still don't get the support they need. Yeah. Moms don't. Yeah. And I was going through an agency, but the adoptive parents were going through a private attorney. I see. I would never recommend that. And I do have to say the home studies were not given. The level of scrutiny was not given. And so all of the layers that I trusted were out there that were the research was given or the home studies and all of that were not in place. And so for me, so you I, just assumed that just, that was all as it should be. And I was young. I mean, I'm yeah, 20, yeah. 21 years old. And they're the experts. And they're the experts. And so for me, I felt kind of, and I don't blame or anything. It's just educating myself now and understanding now what should have been done. So I don't feel like back then the resources were given to really counsel me on all sides of what I was getting myself into, though I think they did the best that they could knowing what they knew back then. But private adoptions, I have really hard time with. Hmm. Yeah. And it's voices like yours and experiences that happened 20 years ago that can help improve things now. And okay, how do we really walk with moms and how do we get them the care and the support they need and make sure that they're not walking through it alone, make sure that they have a support system after the child is placed and all of that. And jumping ahead just a bit, I mean, I became a mentor to birth moms because I was in that predicament where nobody, sure. I mean, and I wanted to know, I'm like, I mean, it's fine to know from an expert, but I wanted to know from a birth mom, what I was walking into, yeah. what really was going to the hospital going to look like, what were the emotions of loss that I was going to feel? I mean, no one really prepared me for that. I mean, it's, it's impossible to say every mom deals with it differently, but I really wanted to have a more of a clear insight into and I want other birth moms to have a clear insight yes. into what really walking into. Because when they leave the hospital, I mean, that's when the fight for just, you know, healing really begins and it doesn't happen overnight. And we're talking years and yeah. years, you know, forever in that sense. So I really think it's important to have another person walk alongside who's walked that same road for every birth mom. Absolutely. Okay. So you place your first child in this family to be adopted. So then let's, you know, fast forward to marriage and kids and walk us through the rest of how your family became a family. So then my boyfriend became my husband. We got married about a year after she was placed. And I will say that was a really, really hard way to start a marriage. Oh my gosh, I'm sure. Difficulty. Him and I are very different in processing, you know, grief and loss. And so we had to work through that. And it's two different kinds of griefs and two different kinds of, I mean, you were actually dealing with physical healing and the physical component and even just the way men and women can view parenthood. Yeah. And he's very logical and, you know, the way that way, well, that makes sense. And I'm in an emotional wreck. And so, all of that, navigating that together was extremely hard and, you know, took a long, long time just working through. And, and in that process, we ended up having three biological boys. So that was, you know, a great blessing. There's always 
every time that there's always this, oh, am I going to have a girl? You know, did I give up my only mm. girl? And, and not to say that I didn't love having boys, but I also, also, you know, thought that. And so that was something that I just kind of navigated. I didn't expect to really feel, but I did. And then after having these three boys, I decided to then become a mentor to birth moms and really take the time to walk alongside them. And one of the birth moms that I was mentoring, she was a family friend who had encountered an unexpected pregnancy. And so I met her for coffee a couple of times and, and toward the end, I think she was about six months pregnant. She turned to me and asked me if I would be willing to adopt. Wow. Boy. And I immediately said, yes, I didn't even ask my husband. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, I didn't even ask him. I'm sure glad he said yes. So, but you know, I just really, we wanted a fourth and I just felt that I was led to her and, and I could handle everything with adoption because I was a birth mom and I knew Now her. was adoption on your heart before this? Was this something that you and your husband had even talked about? No, it really, oh my gosh. It really wasn't. I just, you know, I just wanted a fourth so bad. I didn't even think about what that journey would look like. And if anything from being a birth mom and the feelings that I had gone through, if that would come up again. And so sure. I really thought I knew what it would be like, but I really was pretty naive walking into that. Well, I was even going to ask you as you were mentoring, I'm looking at this and I'm wondering, was that a part of your healing process to walk alongside these moms? Or did you feel like you know, I know no one ever arrives at healed, but did you feel healed and now I can bring healing to these women or was it part of your journey? Honestly, it was part of my journey. Okay. Meaning I thought I'm going to, you know, step alongside and be strong for these girls, but it brought up a ton of emotion. I'm sure. I had kept bottled up, had not dealt with and just reliving their loss and pain over and over. I mean, it was incredibly difficult, but it did contribute to my healing because I really, like I said, I got married, started having kids and really didn't take the time to really process. All sure. Sure. You jump into like normal life. I'm just a mom now. And there's this piece, right? And so I really just jumped in and that, and that mentorship was, I would say a mixed blessing. It was difficult for me, but it was also, I was privileged to be able to walk alongside these girls and answer their questions for them. So, and with our son's birth mom, I mean, she became a sweet friend, but I will tell you, and I've told her that I was not prepared to watch her, you know, because usually with mentoring birth moms, I wasn't in the hospital with them Yeah, as they gave birth, but I was there, you know, (laughs) front and center, just watching her, you know, place her son into my arms. And I was just a wreck because I just. And the empathy, I mean, I can try to put on empathy of, oh, what would it be like to place my child in someone else's arms, deal with the physical part still of being a mom, and then have these emotional... I could try to put on that empathy, but you are, you are watching someone experience what you walked through. Yes. I and cannot imagine. It was horrific. I mean, there's a part of me that I just wanted to stop the whole thing mm. and be like, you don't want to do this because I knew the pain that she mm. would have to walk through. And I felt like I was the one causing it. Mm. And so that was really, really difficult and brought on a lot of post-adoptive depression, which I didn't know existed or prepared for, or didn't have any kind of resource for that. 
And that was really hard. And that's where that guilt and just shame, you know, metamorphosized all over again in my life. And at the same time, every time I rocked him to sleep or kissed him at night, I just thought I knew she was in the corner crying. Mm. You know, the mom, I knew what pain she was in. And it was so hard to find any joy for me in parenting through adoption. It just became really hard. I'm sure. So your post-adoptive depression, was that, you think, specific to your experience as a birth mom also? I think it's a great question. And I think a lot of it stemmed from reliving grief and loss that I had gone through and just knowing what she was going through just because I'd walked in her footsteps. But a lot of it, I just felt inadequate. I just felt completely inadequate. I felt like I didn't know how to balance that relationship between the birth mom and our son and what that was going to look like. And so I didn't even communicate with her because I felt like, well, that's how I healed. I took a step back. Mm. I had a semi-closed adoption. I didn't want any contact. So I felt like that would be healing for her too. And that wasn't the way she, you know, she wanted to heal. She wanted more open. So I didn't know how to handle that. And you know, a, a lot of time I wanted everything to look perfect and it sure wasn't. Sure. <laughs> it was just really hard to navigate, you know, four kids. And it was just, I feel like a lot of it just came on my own, I think, expectations of myself that yeah. it was smooth, that I would have this automatic bonding experience, which I didn't. And I was ashamed of that. So I think a lot of things, I just had a lot of high expectations. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. Having four kids is hard. Adopting a baby is hard. Walking, and then you put it all together and it's just so much at once. And sometimes it's just too much at once. So some of what you're talking about is very specific to your experience, but the idea of insecurity and fear and there isn't a right way to walk through all this. What is the right way? And what has it been like for you as a birth mom, a biological mom, adoptive mom, but just as a person to walk through fear and insecurity and all of that? It's so hard and difficult because for me, as a recovering perfectionist, Mm. I didn't really want to let anyone know on the outside how desperate I was feeling and the fears that I had and insecurities. And, and like I said, I kept that all bottled up. And I really have learned that healing, for me, healing has come through vulnerability and just being yes. open and just talking to other moms. I wish I had done that. I wish I had built a support network for myself. I was extremely isolated. We had moved to a new city. Mm. And so I just put on this show that I had it all together. And I was crumbling. I mean, completely crumbling. Mm. And no one knew, but I didn't let them in. And so I really feel like that just vulnerability and being open and building a support network for yourself is huge. I also think that adoption agencies should just full on expect most of us to go through some depression or something post adoption and have those resources built in place for us to go to and just make it almost normal that or normalize it that you are probably going to experience. Maybe not, but most of you will experience something like this? What are some resources we can give each other, you know, during that process? All right, friends, I'm interrupting our conversation to ask you to do me a favor. And really, it's not a favor for me. It's a favor for our future listeners. Pause this episode and revisit your podcast app. 
There, you can rate and review this show. Now, this isn't about me getting happy words from you. This is about other people being able to find this. Other biological, foster, and adoptive moms who can learn from our guests. So if you could do that quickly, that will help those moms to be able to find us. This episode is brought to you by Goods and Better. Goods and gear on a mission. Goodsandbetterstore.com is where you can find shirts, prints, jewelry, and other goods that are specific to the journey of foster care and adoption. And major bonus, every purchase benefits a child entering foster care. Through Goods and Better's Buy It Forward program, you get to choose your impact and allocate where you want your donation to benefit. Whether it's luggage for a child entering foster care or baby essentials for a brand new baby, you get to choose where your money goes. Visit goodsandbetterstore.com to look through the array of designs that are made just for you with the mission of providing essentials for children entering foster care. Visit goodsandbetterstore.com and use code REALMOM to save 10% on your entire order. That's goodsandbetterstore.com, code REALMOM. Yeah. All right. So speak to the mom who is, quote unquote, living the dream of adoption. You know, you wait and there's money and there's time and waiting. And then all of a sudden you have this child and you said the bonding wasn't automatic. Speak to that mom who is maybe it's through foster care, maybe it's private adoption, has a child they're caring for and they don't experience that bond. What was it like for you to deal with the emotions of that and the guilt? And then what did it look like for things, you know, I know that you are a loving adoptive mom, so it didn't stay in this like really dark place forever. Walk us through that. Well, and you're right. It doesn't stay in a dark place forever. It feels like it when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. So I wish I someone had told me you will get through this. And the biggest word is time. Yeah. And I wish someone would have said, okay, it's okay if you don't bond, you know, month one or month two, but give it time and just let that process take place naturally and organically. And I wish someone would just give me the freedom to do that. And I just kept pushing and pushing and like, I'm going to feel this no matter what, I'm going to bond no matter what, I'm going to keep trying. And that's when I just got more and more depressed because it wasn't naturally. And so, yeah, it did subside. And I, for that mom out there that is just in the dirt and mud, there is, you know, you're going to feel that way. But there is a time where it's going to subside and you're going to walk out of there. And when you do, you can hold the hand of somebody else who's going through the same thing. But just let us encourage each other and let each other know that it is a time and that there are going to be days. I mean, even with any child I mean, sure. or not, that we feel like we're not completely bonded. So it's, I don't feel like it's just an adopted mom thing. I mean, you know, I've had those, those hard times with my biological children, too. And the bonding that didn't take place. So I feel like we need to normalize that a little bit more. And well, and even if we're not talking specifically about bond, just the idea of seasons, I think it's just such a helpful thought for a mom of nothing lasts forever. And yeah, it might turn into something that's equally as hard, but different, but for everything, there's a season and one season passes and another comes and I think because we're in the thick of it with our kids, we just assume this is it forever. And I know I can, you know, talking even to my kids' therapist, like I totally project, you know, a six-year-old behavior or a nine-year-old behavior on 
a 29 year old. And I go like, if this doesn't change, and it's like, no, as moms, we have to remember that everything changes. Doesn't mean that it always is perfect or better right away, but it's going to change. And we can't accept that hopelessness of this is my new forever. Right. I mean, what we experience, I mean, you, you have new experiences all the time. So the person that I am today or the situation I'm in today, is going to look completely different a year from now. Yeah. Than even a year out from then. And so this idea of like constant change and, and evolution within our parenting and our, you know, in our circumstances and to be open and open to that change and willing to wait through those seasons. And so, you know, I also had, you know, when I brought home my adopted son within two weeks of just trying to navigate that, just having a new adopted son, we had our birth daughter call us. And I had- This is where the the story really gets interesting. (laughs) There is this idea of openness. It's kind of how I'm cleaning it in, but but, you know, there's things that I don't expect. I didn't, you know, she called out of the blue and, and had questions and wanted to know about her birth family and wanted to know her brothers. And I will say at the time, I hadn't even told my kids they had a sister. Wow. I, I kept that a secret. It was ridiculous, all the secrets that I kept thinking that I was going to keep somebody, you know, protected by doing that. And instead it was myself that just kept going down, you know, darker into these feelings of guilt and shame. But, you know, as soon as I had one adoptive son, I had a birth daughter who wanted to, you know, meet us. And, you know, after so many years, like, again, I said, I was not ready to have this open relationship in the beginning. Yeah. But I felt that this was a time there was, I needed to be more and more open and know that my heart needed to heal here. And so we had planned a visit for her and her adoptive parents. And how old was she at this time? She was 12. 12. Okay. She was 12. And so, you know, I remember pulling my boys aside, terrified that they were going to like slam the door on me. I was a terrible mother. Tell me that what have you done? Why did you keep her a secret from us? And, you know, they were playing like a Wii game or something upstairs. And I just remember getting a picture of her and having them come down and, you know, said, okay, guys, I want you to know that you do have a sister and, you know, she's on her way to come visit us. And their reaction was so just, oh, cool, mom. Can we go back and play we? I mean, I was like floored. I'm like all these years that I kept this secret and you just have this blase attitude. But It's why you preach vulnerability, I'm sure. Because, right, because it, you see how it damaged your own spirit, but also so many of the things that you kind of build up in your mind as you have to protect yourself and you have to protect others. And it's like, even some of those things are just like, when we face them, we realize, oh, I could have just been open about this all along. I'm, I know. I mean, and I thought about that. It's like, if they can accept me, that easy. Why am I having such a hard time accepting myself? Mm. And why am I teaching them if I'm trying to say everything needs to be perfect in this life? If I can't even, you know, face my own imperfections or what I would call imperfections. Well, and even just as believers, just that reality that any failings that either of us have had, we don't have to carry the guilt for because it's already been paid for. It's already been carried by someone else. And so when we're carrying guilt that was already paid for, then it's not only wrong because it's against our God who did this amazing thing for us, but it's 
stupid. It's, you know, it's carrying guilt that doesn't even exist. Exactly. It's just, I feel like it's a time, I mean, waster just to spend all that time and energy on guilt and shame. And like you said, it's already been paid for us. Yeah. And I didn't understand that freedom. I felt like there's this level of almost pride Hmm. that I had to be the one to fix myself and save myself and make it okay when there was already a savior who had done that for me, wasn't willing to accept it. And so I really had to, you know, work through that and realize that I was holding on to things I didn't need to. Hmm. Oh man, there's such freedom in honesty and openness and then the gospel. Exactly. <laughs> so you have this meeting now with your 12-year-old birth daughter and you have 12 years of emotion and guilt and all this <laughs> stuff. All right, so talk to us about this meeting and then how the rest of the story played out. Well, the meeting was, it was again, bittersweet because I watched my daughter, you know, play with her siblings outside the backyard and, and my mind was like, Oh my gosh, this is what it would have looked like, could have looked like, should have looked like. Mm. And, you know, again, drove myself crazy with the what ifs. Mm. And also I'm holding a newly adopted son. And I know she's thinking, why did you place me? And you adopted a son. I mean, I had all these things that were going on. And so I remember looking at her and before she even asked the question, and I just said, you know what, I want you to know that you are never replaced. You mm. could never be replaced. I have a special place in my heart for you and always will. You are always loved. And she just needed to hear those words oh my that God, she was yeah. loved and accepted and worthy for who she was and is, you know? And, and what a gift for you to give her as you are struggling. I mean, as you're talking, I have chills and tears putting myself in your shoes. Here you are, a mother walking through pain, and what a motherly thing to do, to see your daughter and see her needs and speak to her heart while your heart is just breaking. I was breaking, but you're right. It was almost like I needed to hear, I needed to hear those words for me too, to say, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm worthy, I'm valued too, and I want you to know those too because that's what I wish somebody would have told me or that I had accepted for myself. Yeah. I made a conscious decision to do that. And then also I had to really remember why I had placed her and not play that what if game in my head of that's well, so things good. Look great now. I mean, I'm fine now. I can financially support her. She could come stay with us. And the boys, I mean, that was the next question they had. Well, why can't she live with us? I mean, it was horrible, but I had to remind myself and be honest and say, you know what, at that time in my life, it was a very different story and a very different picture. And I did the best I could at that. Right. Right. That's so good to release yourself from all the what ifs and just, this was what God had at that time. And this isn't the reality we were dealing with then. And so we kept a really good relationship with her going forward. We did a lot of phone calls and she came to visit us for the weekends and or just, you know, here and there throughout the next several years. And, you know, we realized something was very wrong at home. Probably when she turned 16, 17, there just became a lot of silence between her and the adoptive parents. And we didn't really know what was going on, but we had learned that they, for whatever reason, I can't speak to them, but decided that she had to choose between her adoptive parents and her birth family that she Hmm. was to to have both. Hmm. And I don't imagine, I don't, can't speak to what that must have felt like for her. Yeah. I just knew that once they chose not to parent her any longer and severed that relationship, that 
we could step in at that point and have an adult adoption. And so when she turned 18, we went before a judge and, you know, we're allowed to readopt her so we could not only financially support her, but emotionally support her as her legal parents. And, you know, that journey is, is brand spanking new. I mean, that's something that's only happened maybe four years ago, but, you know, parenting an adult or your own child who you've missed 18 Mm. years of their life. And then you're expected to be mom and know all the answers because you're supposed to know because you're her birth mom. I mean, it's been extremely difficult. Sure. We take one day at a time. And also, you know, we don't discount her adoptive parents. I know they're probably dealing with things and pray for them all the time. That's especially as an adoptive mom, you know how hard it is to be an adoptive mom and to not to know there isn't, I mean, there's a wrong way to do things, but there isn't a right way to do things and, and have compassion on the struggle of being an adoptive parent, even if they didn't do things right. Well, exactly. And I think it's helped. I mean, that has helped me grow as an adoptive mom of knowing that I can't ask my son to choose between yeah. me or that. I mean, if his birth mom is in a healthy place, which she is, and he wants that relationship, I have got to nurture that and, yeah. that and help that because that is best for the child. Maybe not for me. Maybe that doesn't feel good all the time, but for that child, that's the best thing for them. And so I have to remember that and put away my selfish desires that you so know, I really good. own and control and like, this is mine. Um, and pretend that like, you are only mine. I think that can be such a temptation for adoptive parents. We just want things to be normal and healthy and happy. And so it's like, well, you're mine. And if we just keep this little bubble where you are only mine, then you won't ever want anything else. And And for you to learn that from every angle must be such a gift in serving your son. The bubble will burst. Yeah. All the time. So eventually it will. And I think that as adoptive parents, when we enter into adoption, we are also inviting other families into our right. lives, whether we like it or not. Right. And that's the truth of adoption. And there are hard times and difficult times with that, but that's what we've entered into. And I think to remember that and to know, like you said, it's not just about us and our bubble, but it's what's best for our child yeah. and what they need to know. And, and fostering the relations that are healthy for them as they get older and know how to, to work through those and work through good boundaries. But I, you know, I'm in the middle of working with that with my adoptive son who's 12 and, and really being more open to, you know, him and his birth mom, letting them have a sweet relationship. Yeah. That is, is good for them. All right. So you called yourself a recovering perfectionist and you are waiting through things that it is impossible to do perfectly. I mean, motherhood, of course, but all of these things, there is no handbook for how to do anything you're doing. So what does it look like for you to like be very aware of your imperfection and your daughter's feelings towards you and your son's feelings towards you and their parents? And I mean, how does a recovering perfectionist, (laughs) which I am not a recovering perfectionist and still, I just so want to do this thing well that, you know, it's so important. We want to do it well. We want to do it so well. Oh my goodness. You're right. And I feel like, yeah, I just, 
God was going to teach me one way or another <laughs> that I was going to, he was going to show me grace where I didn't think I deserved it, but I lean on that every single day and really let that grace dissolve the guilt and shame that I have pent up for years. Hmm. And, you know, I reflect on that adoption journey and I'm like, did that turn out the way I planned? No, none, yeah. of, none of it did. And, you know, I just sometimes have to take steps of faith without seeing the whole picture. And that's good. Like I said we have to do things that we know at that particular time in life. It doesn't mean we don't have to be fortune tellers and know how the end of the story works before we take a step of faith in the beginning. Because God will work out the details. And like I said, well, my biological or birth daughter, her story isn't done. And I don't think it's done. I think God is doing a work in sure. her. Hands. And so I'm really open to that. But I did the best that I could at the time of the information that I had and just be willing to, to make peace with that, you know? And I think I have to, I think as adoptive moms, we have to stop dwelling on the what ifs, what could have been. Well, and and you have 20 years of experience to build that faith of, you know, 20 years of, I don't have the information for all of the what ifs. I might stumble through this. And yet I know that God is good and I know that he's doing something here and we are in the middle of the story. I love that you said that her story. I mean, none of our stories are over, but especially when, when things are so messy and there isn't like a right way for how the plot should turn out. (laughs) I think we've let go of the right way. Sure. of Of that ideal. I think that had to just completely get washed away and you know, also, if I look back, I just call it a journey. I mean, I have changed so much because of the journey. I'm a completely different person than I was, and I'm thankful for that. Hmm. And God is showing me new things more and more with, you know, as this journey continues, but he will show me more. You know, it's not, like I said, it's a journey. And I think just for us as women, just having the courage to be open and vulnerable and honest with our stories because I, I feel like suffering in silence helps no one. Sure. Not us or anyone who could benefit from our story. No. And church was not meant for us to fellowship in silence. We're meant to right. see others grief and really walk alongside each other. And we can't do that if we're silent about really what's going on behind the scenes, because I guarantee it's probably happening more than likely behind someone else's <laughs> curtains too. And I think we just need to be more honest and real about that and just come alongside each other without judgment, without condemnation or any of that and yeah. just be grace all around. I love it. Sure. Adrian. your story is just so unique, but more than that, I love just the way you're talking through it. You know, you can have a story of what's happened in your life, but to hear the things that God has taught you, to hear the pieces of it that you are looking to grow from and have learned. It's just, it's really sweet. All right. I want to switch gears because we could keep talking about this. I'm sure on and on and on. We are like started the conversation. How much time do we have? How, (laughs) but we have to cut it off at some point. So I want to talk about you. I want to know what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what Yeah. Don't worry. I'm going to go over it again. What are you doing? What's your thing recently? Okay. Currently I'm in the middle of planning a wedding. So my daughter is getting married. Oh my. We are in the middle of wedding planning. So that has been really fun to get to do that with her. So So fun. Mother of the bride. And man, I guess again, another piece of it that must be like sweet and healing and confusing because these are the things that you thought you were giving up when you place your, wow. So all of that, all that combined. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Chills again. I want to jump right back into (laughs) that piece of the conversation, but we'll move on. All right. What are you eating? Cheese and crackers every day, every single day. I don't know if it's quarantine, but it's like I, at five o'clock I have to have cheese and crackers. So yeah, that's my go-to. That's great. All right. What are you reading? Oh, you guys, I just finished Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans. Yeah. And it was beautiful. I love how she defined the church and sacraments. I thought it was just breathtaking. So I got to read it all over again, but beautiful. I think the last person that I interviewed shared that same book. Really? Yeah. (laughs) All right. What are you watching? Okay. It's not, I don't know if it's the best, but... We started watching Dead to Me on Netflix. By oh, yeah. We watched Actually, we just finished it last night. So I could give it away, but I won't. <laughs> watching it? Well, so are you in season one? I'm in season one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We just finished season two last night. Okay, good. So I should keep watching. I love it. I feel like just the journey that we all experience with grief and loss and how we go about it and how we... And they're, they're such different women. The two of them are so different. You'll see their, their bond, like twists and turns, and it's about friendship and grief and yeah. All of it. I'm so glad you watched it because I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. (laughs) All right. What are you listening to? My teenage son loves to build my playlist. So I have things on there that are all over the place, but I have rap and he's keeping you young and relevant and hip. He's trying to. No, but I've been listening to Tyler Ward. He does like those cover songs. Okay. He's he's the best. It's like, it's just, yeah, it's great. (laughs) That's what teenage kids are good for. I have a tween. So unfortunately, a lot of the things that I know are things that I really don't care to know right now, but I'm looking forward to when uh, her tastes improve. You'll you'll still cool in head. Yeah. Yeah. Adrian, this was such a great time, man. Your story is a blessing to us because so many of us are wondering what is it like to come from this perspective and for you to hold it all in one place and then share it so generously with us, but with such humility and with that vulnerability of still being in the middle of it. This is on one hand, a story from 20 years ago and a story from 12 years ago, but a story from today and you're being just so generous and vulnerable with it. And I'm just so grateful. Thanks for teaching us. Thanks for being open with us. And just thanks for chatting today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Mom Podcast. You can find us in all the places, realmompodcast.com for our landing page, where we'll connect you to the guests and all the links and info from this episode. On Facebook, search Real Mom Podcast and on Instagram at Real Mom Podcast. Thanks for listening. Praises to my king. You are the